Let me tell you what I love about Pinion Hills Community Church. I love that we can make a promotional video and put antlers on people's heads, a pastor's head, and have them come out and da 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 and have you all laugh at it. I, I just think life's too short to not be able to laugh at things in life. So thank you for being here. Thank you for laughing at our silly antics that we have in our videos here. Uh, my name is Matt, and it's good to have you worshiping with us today as we continue on in our series called Rocked, which is all about people's lives who have been transformed. Before we jump into that, let me talk about a little bit about the Wild Game lunch that's coming up on June 1st. It's going to be kind of like Sam's Club. Have you ever been to Sam's Club before and they pass out all the samples where it's like you could try this corn dog and these chips and this drink and whatever? It's going to be like that, but different in the sense that the Wild Game Barbecue is going to be like samples of bear and rattlesnake and like oryx and elk. Now I know some of you are sitting there thinking, yuck, why would I want to willingly subject myself to that? Because you live in San Juan County. This is what we do here. We have people hunting all the time. In fact, if you're a hunter and you have a freezer full of food, perhaps bring some of that with you so we can grill it up and you can share whatever's in your freezer with, uh, with everybody else. It's going to be a fun time. It's, it's fun for the entire family. We're doing drawings, giveaways. When you leave here, you can sign up for what meat you want to bring. You can also sign up for the raffle. Uh, there's activities for kids. It's going to be a good time. June 1st. Uh, from 11 to 1, and it's going to be a blast for the wild game. Now, that being said, today we are wrapping up our Rocked series, which is all about people's lives who have been radically transformed and changed or rocked by Jesus. In fact, it kind of reminds me of a guy that you perhaps have seen in the news recently. Does anybody know this guy? Have you seen the, this guy on the news? Anybody know what game show he's been on in the last couple of months? Jeopardy. Jeopardy. You guys all got their incorrect answer. The correct answer is, what is Jeopardy? <laughs> he's been on Jeopardy over the last couple of months, and he's completely changed the game for Jeopardy, and here's why. The average contestant that comes on has the average winnings of $35,000 per show, per episode. This guy, James, he's, he's been raking it in. His average winnings are $75,000 per show. Now, now, that might seem like, wow, that's only double what the normal is. Here's the concern. Some people are like, wow, Jeopardy is now in Jeopardy because they don't have the budget to pay this dude. He's made over a million dollars so far from this show. Now, to put that in perspective, most game shows, like, for example, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If, if you go on a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, there's such a small statistical likelihood that you'll actually win the granddaddy prize of a million dollars that the show, if you win, the show doesn't even pay that. An insurance company pays that. They buy an insurance policy on the slight subtle chance that somebody will actually win a million dollars, the insurance company will pay out for that. Well, Jeopardy! has been on the air for decades, and they've never had a guy like James, this guy, they've never had a guy doing what he's doing, and so they're losing so much money that they might go bankrupt. They have no insurance policy. They have no ability for, for some other organization to be able to pay him off. So there's a chance that in our lifetime, Jeopardy! might completely disappear because of one guy who literally changed the game. Now, that being said, 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes onto the scene. Now, he's not on a game show, of course, but Jesus comes out, and he starts saying things that perhaps could change the game. He says, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And not only that, but I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put into a tomb. Three days later, I'm coming from, back from the dead. Now, nobody has said that before. Nobody has, sent, has said that since. But then he actually did what he claimed he was going to do. He was crucified, put into a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he came back as the resurrected Christ. And that event in history changed and rocked millions and billions of people's lives. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Peter. Peter was one of the first disciples who began following after Jesus, and Peter was kind of on the fence. Should I follow him all the way in? Sometimes he was in, sometimes he was out. But after he saw the resurrected Christ, everything changed for Peter. 
Two weeks ago, Pastor Darren came out and he was talking about a guy who was by, by the pool and Jesus said, hey, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And that guy's life was forever changed and rocked by Jesus. Last week, Mother's Day, we talked about two women, Mary and Martha. Both of them had an interaction and conversation with Jesus and their lives were never the same. Now, today, as we wrap up this four-week series of Rocked, we're gonna look at one more character that we see in the Bible, but we don't even know this guy's name. He's nameless. We do know his title, his job. So as we jump in, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew's in the New Testament, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew chapter 8, you can follow along on your Bible, in your version app, perhaps on my screen, as we jump in. Here we go. Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, let me just stop there and draw attention to the word centurion for a second. This comes from the root word, a Latin word called centuria, and that word means 100 parts. That's where we get the English term century. The century is 100 years. It's where we get the word cent. 100 cents makes $1. A centurion is a Roman soldier who is responsible over 100 other Roman soldiers. He's a leader among leaders. Now, here, you need to understand this about Roman soldiers. They're the best of the best. Think like Navy SEALs. Rome was the most powerful country 2,000 years ago. They dominated everything. So their soldiers, their army was the elite of all the, the armies in the world. So the Roman soldiers were the best of the best. So a centurion who is over 100 other Roman soldiers not only is leading a best, the best of the best, but he must be one of the best of the best in order to qualify to be a leader over other Roman soldiers. Now, now here's something that stands out to me. He's a centurion. He's a leader over all these Navy SEALs, so to speak. But look what he's doing. He's asking for help. There's this myth out there that some leaders believe, some business owners believe, some managers, supervisors, CEOs, that if you ask for help, you're admitting weakness. Some people will not, I'm not going to ask for help because I don't want people to think I'm a pansy. I don't want people to think that I, I'm not strong enough in and of myself to be able to do something. And a lot of people don't ask for help because they're fearful of what will other people think of me? Will they think that I'm not as strong as I want them to perceive me? But here's the reality. If you don't ask for help, it could lead to devastation in your life. Here's what Solomon, wisest man of all time, said in Proverbs about asking for help. He said, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Plans fail if you don't ask for help. The centurion isn't just getting counsel. He's going to Jesus asking for help. Now, wouldn't it be nice if more of our government officials went to Jesus to ask for help? Wouldn't it be nice if more of the people in Congress, the Republicans, the Democrats, more people that are elected officials, wouldn't it be nice if more of them sought out God to request for help? Now, I wish I could just, you know, clap three times and make that happen, but that's not the reality. But we do have a voice. Every time there's an election that comes up, I want to encourage you, make your voice be heard because our voice can elect people that, that are going to Jesus for help. So, so how do we do that? We look to the, the candidates during an election and we figure out who is already going to Jesus asking for help. And that's the person that we support. Somebody that goes to God, that trusts God, that wants God's word, that wants to implement that, that goes to Jesus when they need help, when they need wisdom, when they need advice. We have a role in helping make that a reality in these United States of America. So please don't be silent when it comes to an election. Please don't, don't throw away your vote and not go cast your vote. Please make your voice be heard and put people into positions that go to Jesus for help. The centurion, he goes to Jesus and he requests help. Matthew chapter 8, verse 6. Lord, the centurion says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now here's another reason I like the centurion. 
based on these two words, at home. The centurion is obvious. He's going to Jesus. He's saying, my, my servant is suffering at home. What this indicates is that this centurion doesn't just care about his soldiers when they're on the battlefield. This centurion doesn't just care about his, his employees, the people that work for him, when they're doing something for him. It's not just a matter of what their performance is on the job. He cares about their life at home as well. If, if you work for an organization, you work for a boss who doesn't care about you, your, your mental health, your awareness, your emotions, he doesn't care about you as an individual. If you work for a boss that doesn't care about you as a person, quit. Because again, life is too short to work for people who don't care about you and who you are as an individual. We, we, can't, we can't get caught up in this idea that we have to impress other people. So I would encourage you to, to not just look at people for their performance. Don't just look at people for what they give you. Look at people for people, not pawns. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. If you're writing in notes, treat people like people, not pawns. Because the reality is people are people. They're not just performers. They're not just employees. They have a life. They have things that go on at home. Perhaps you're a boss, perhaps you're a business owner, and you're like, it's none of my business to get involved in somebody, what they're doing in their personal life, what's going on at home. Some, perhaps there's some questions that you don't want to ask, but perhaps there's some questions that you should ask. Questions like, hey, how are you doing? Like, no, for real, how are you really doing? How's your spouse? How are your kids? Are you enjoying life? Not all questions as a business owner or as an employer, not all those questions have to relate to their job performance. Care about the people because they are people. They're not just pawns. This centurion comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I've got one of my soldiers, he's, he's at home. He's caring about somebody that he's over, somebody he's leading at home. That's inspiring, that's motivating. But he doesn't actually come out and ask Jesus for help. So Jesus says this, Matthew 8, verse 7. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Which, to be honest with you, I think this is kind of uh, funny and entertaining to me. Because it's obvious that the centurion wants Jesus' help. But Jesus, he doesn't, the centurion doesn't come out and flat out ask for it. So Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do about it? You've said that he's at home suffering. Do you want me to help him? Do you want me to serve him? Do you want me to heal him? Well, what do you want me to do about it? I kind of think that's kind of funny because it seems obvious, but the centurion never came out and flat out asked, which leads me to a point. There's a difference between complaining and getting counsel, isn't there? There's a difference between just complaining and, and getting counsel from people. Now, now, here's what complaining is. Complaining is going to somebody and just saying, here's, here's what I don't like about life or this situation. You're giving them data and information. I don't like this. This is frustrating. This is angering. That's complaining. But we are told based on God's word to not complain. Here's what Paul said to the Philippians. Paul said this. He said, do everything without complaining and arguing so that nobody can criticize you. Do everything without complaining. We are called to not be people who complain. But there's a difference from complaining versus getting counsel. Getting counsel is not just talking about your problems, your issues, the things that frustrate you or anger you. But it's a matter of going to godly people saying, how do I respond to that? This is frustrating me, but what's my, my next move? What can I do? Now you're getting counsel from the other person. You're getting advice. You're getting help from godly people. And we are instructed based on God's word. We should be people who do get counsel. Proverbs 19 verse 20 says this, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Now, how do you be counted among the wise? You listen to advice. How do you listen to advice? You ask for advice. There's a difference between complaining and getting counsel. Complaining is just saying, here's all my problems. Getting counsel is saying, here's my problems, but how do I respond? What do I do with that? 
Here's where I see people violate this all the time. It's in the context of marriages. Husbands and wives mess this up all the time. A husband and wife, they get into a disagreement. They, they're butting heads. They're, they're not seeing eye to eye. So what happens? The wife goes off and talks to her friends. The husbands go, go off and talk to, talk to their friends. The wife goes off and says, can you believe my husband did this and said that? Can you believe I'm making him sleep on the couch? Blah, 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 blah. Sorry, ladies. That's my impersonation of you. <laughs> Hope you come back. <laughs> It's just complaining. But then the husband goes to his group of guys. Well, can you believe my wife did this? I make fun of the guys too, so it's okay. Can you believe my wife did this and said this? Can you believe her? <laughs> and all that is, it's just complaints. It's just gossip is all it is. You're, you're talking poorly about your spouse, but you should be your spouse's biggest fan. So, so here's the difference. You could just complain and talk poorly about your spouse. Or you, ladies, you could go to your group of friends and be like, hey, here's the situation that just happened with my husband. What's my next move? How do I respond in a godly way? See, the information is not too much different. There's just taking one step further saying, how do I respond to this? How can you give me godly counsel for how I should react? Guys, when you go and, and talk to your other, your other guy friends, well, here, here's the situation with my wife. Here's what happened. Here's the scenario. What's my next move? How do I be a godly leader to my bride? There's a difference, a subtle difference between complaining and getting counsel. How do you make sure that you're not somebody who just complains, you can write this down in your program if you're taking notes. Never complain without asking for counsel. Simple as that. Never complain without asking for advice. Never complain without asking for help. What, what can I do in this scenario? And when you go to Jesus specifically to ask for help, he wants to provide help for you. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 14. He said, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, some people take this verse and they, they take it out of context. They're like, oh, so Jesus is a genie in a bottle. He's a Jesus in a bottle. <laughs> no, he's not. You got to ask for things that are in his name, things that he would want for you. But the key is this, these two words, ask me. Jesus says, go ahead and ask me. And I want to provide good gifts to those who follow me, those who love me. Just simply ask me. We have to ask. We can't expect God to give us things if we don't actually ask for those things. So the centurion, he goes to Jesus. And he says, my, my servant is at home. He's suffering terribly, but he doesn't actually make the ask. So Jesus says, do you want me to heal him? Is there something you want me to do? Because you haven't actually asked me yet. So that's the, when the, uh, the centurion speaks up again. Matthew 8, verse 8. Centurion replies to Jesus. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Say the word. Now, this is incredible faith by the centurion. What the centurion is basically saying, he's, he's saying, Jesus, if you just say it, it will happen. That is incredible faith that he is demonstrating. He is saying, I believe in the power of what you are, who you are. You are God. You are the Messiah. You are the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. If you just speak, Jesus, stuff will happen. And that's incredible faith. But the reality is that many of us here this morning, we have the same type of faith. I mean, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke, and boom, stuff happened. What about verse 6 of Genesis? Genesis 1, 6. God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters and the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God spoke, and stuff happened. Verse 9 of Genesis chapter 1. God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place so the dry ground may appear. And boom, that is what happened. God speaks, and stuff happens. God just spoke and plants begin to grow. God spoke, animals are created. God spoke and mankind is created. This is the God that we serve. He is so powerful, so almighty that just his words, he just speak and stuff 
happens. Which is why David, King David the psalmist, wrote this in the book of Psalms, Psalm 33. He said, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans and vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everybody stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. He just speaks and stuff happens. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we come here to worship. He speaks, the sun starts shining. He speaks, stars begin to twinkle. He speaks, the planets begin the rotation. He speaks and life is beginning. He speaks and stuff happens. That's the kind of power that we see in the God which we serve. And this centurion, he goes to Jesus and says, just say the word and it will happen. Now here's the difference between all of us and the centurion, all of us. We have the privilege of having the Bible. We can go to the Bible and say, okay, here's where God spoke, stuff happened, God spoke, stuff happened, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. All these different instances in scripture and history, God spoke and stuff happened. But the centurion 2,000 years ago, he didn't have the Bible that you and I have today. All he had was faith. Jesus, I believe, I have faith that if, if you just say the word, my boy back home, he'll be healed. My servant, my soldier, if you just speak it, stuff happens. This is inspiring to Jesus. Isn't that cool to have somebody inspire Jesus? Here's how Jesus replies to this, Matthew 8, 10. Jesus heard this and he was amazed. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing to amaze Jesus? He heard the centurion, <coughs> excuse me, and he was amazed and said to those who were following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in all of Israel with such great faith. I haven't found anyone. Now, mind you, by this point, Jesus has his disciples. He has followers. He has Peter and James and John, people who have literally dropped their nets in order to follow after Jesus. But now he's saying this centurion, he has more faith than anybody that I've met so far in all of Israel. And then Jesus goes on to explain why he, why he sees this type of faith and why it's so impressive. Verse 11. Jesus says, I, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and they will take their places at the feast of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he's saying, there's people from all over the world that are not a part of Israel that are going to go to heaven someday because they have faith. He continues on verse 12. He said, but the subjects of this kingdom, Israel, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, isn't it interesting that people in Israel, right where Jesus is walking, going town to town, village to village, and teaching people, isn't it interesting that people will hear me, they will see me, but they will deny me? Isn't it interesting that people here in the backyard in Israel want nothing to do with me and they won't go to heaven someday? But isn't it interesting, isn't it fascinating that there's people from all other territories, all other places, from the east to the west, there's other countries that people will hear the good news of the gospel and they will be at heaven, they will be at the feast at the kingdom of heaven someday. Isn't it interesting The people that you perhaps might not assume would have faith have faith and people that you think might have faith don't? Isn't that the reality here in the United States of America? Isn't it interesting how we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion? You could go to any church that you want to go to. You could open up your Bible at any time. You could pull open your YouVersion your app at any time and you could study God's word. You could spend time with Jesus at any time that you want to. Yet if you go to Kazakhstan, you go to China, you go to Afghanistan, you go to Iran, you go to places where it's illegal to be a Christian, you will be killed for your faith. Yet there's people in those other countries where you wouldn't expect Christians to thrive. There's people in those countries that, are, that will go to heaven someday compared to the United States where it's freely available to, to worship Jesus, to learn about Jesus at any time, yet there's people in our country that are denying Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with him. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is making the point. He's making the point. Some of the people that you would not expect to see in heaven will be in heaven. Some of the people that you would expect to see in heaven won't be in heaven. 
And he's making this point. He's making this clarification. He's, he's making this juxtaposition because there's a centurion standing in front of him. And the centurion, he's over 100 Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers, while they're the best of the best, they're trained. They're elite soldiers. You've got to remember, Rome didn't get to the place that it got without using force. And these Roman soldiers, they were notorious for being experts at murder. They, they were good at torturing people. It was the Roman soldiers who invented the crucifixion. These guys are elite soldiers who know how to, to cause havoc on people. And a centurion who's a leader over a hundred other people that do that, he must also be good at what his soldiers are doing or else he wouldn't be in leadership. This guy is probably a professional torturer. Yet he's standing in front of Jesus and he's asking for help. And I think this is the point that Jesus is making. Sometimes we stereotype people and we assume who gets in, who gets out, who's going to heaven, who's not. And he's saying, your faith, centurion, your faith sets you apart. Not anybody in all of Israel has your faith. Despite your background, despite where you come from, you're, here you are standing in front of me and you believe that if I just speak, stuff happens. If I just say the word, your guy's going to get healed. He's saying that is impressive. So here's what Jesus says next to the centurion. Verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believe it would. And then look at this. And his servant was healed in that moment. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this. The person who was healed was not the centurion. The person who was healed was the guy that was at home that never met Jesus. I, I, I want you to get this, and I want you to have this, this, the weight of the, what this means really sink in. The person whose life was rocked by Jesus was not the centurion. The person whose life was rocked by Jesus was the one that the centurion was asking for help for. It was a guy that was back at his home that had never even met Jesus. Jesus healed him in the moment. Why? Based on the faith of somebody else that came to Jesus on behalf of the other person. If you're writing down notes, you can write this in. This is significant because you can ask Jesus to rock the life of somebody else that you know. You can go to Jesus on behalf of somebody else and say, hey, Jesus, will you rock the life of that person? Will you heal that person? Will you help that person? Will you meet that person? Will you transform them? Will you, will you radically change their life? Will you get a hold of that person? You can go to Jesus on behalf of somebody else and say, this person needs you, Jesus, so I'm coming to you on their behalf. They don't even know I'm here. And I'm coming to you, Jesus, because I have faith. And here's what's crazy. If you have faith, perhaps Jesus honors that faith and reaches somebody else that never even sought out Jesus. My wife has a story of this, and she, she recently... I was, we were talking about this story about how she had a conversation with her grandmother before her grandmother passed away. And it demonstrates that the significance of being able to impact somebody else's life who may not be pursuing Jesus, but by you going to Jesus, you could rock somebody else's life. We asked her if she would share her story this morning. And so this video is my bride, my best friend, Ashton Mizell. Check it out. So I had the sweetest little grandma ever. Just growing up, I remember going to her house and having sleepovers and her taking me to Blake Slaughterburger to get black cherry milkshakes. And I remember hours and hours spending at her um, little computer store visiting her as she owned in Albuquerque. I always grew up going to church with my parents, but my grandma never came to church with us and she never wanted to really talk about God. Um, and it wasn't until I was a sophomore in high school 
that I gave my life to Jesus. And I started to ask my grandma more and more questions about God and about her faith and what she believed. And she just didn't really want to talk about it very much. She um, was very supportive of me and my involvement with church, but um, she just said she was very hurt by the church and she was very hurt by God and that's all she would say. Um, and then a few years later, my grandma got really sick. And I remember getting the call from my mom and I raced from my class at UNM and raced down to the hospital. And I saw my grandma laying in that hospital bed and she wasn't well. She um, had been heavily medicated. She wasn't communicating. She was pretty much unresponsive. She had a breathing tube. She couldn't talk. Um, and I remember just sitting next to her bed and I started praying with her and I started reading scripture to her and I started talking to her about Jesus. And the doctors and nurses kept coming in and telling me that I was crazy because she couldn't hear me. She was so sick, she was so medicated, she was unresponsive, she wouldn't be able to hear anything I said, but I didn't care. <laughs> I kept coming day after day after day, sitting next to my grandma, holding her hand, reading her scripture, praying with her, and just praying that somehow she would be able to put her hope and trust in Jesus, and that somehow she would hear me. Um, and unfortunately, my grandma never got better. She ended up having to go home on hospice a few weeks later. And um, one night, I remember leaning over and kissing her and hugging her goodnight. And she grabbed my arm and she looked up at me and she said, Ashton, I heard everything that you said. I have put my hope and trust in Jesus and I'm ready to go be with him. And then she passed away that night in her sleep. And I remember getting to share at her funeral a few days later, and I was so excited because I got to share that I knew exactly where my grandma was. I knew that she was in heaven. I knew she was with Jesus, and I knew that I was gonna get to see her again. And um, it was such a privilege for me to get to introduce my grandma to Jesus on earth. And I cannot wait for the day that my grandma gets to introduce me to Jesus in heaven. And you know, it's never too late to let God use you and your faith to rock somebody else's life. Keep inviting that person to church. Keep thinking about them. Keep praying for them. Never give up on them. Don't give up on them. Even if it seems like they're not listening, God can use you. He can use your faith if you're willing to be bold to possibly change somebody else's life and to maybe even change their eternity. You can be bold to potentially change somebody's eternity. How do you request that Jesus rocks the life of another person, that gets a hold of a life of another person? You ask him. You pray. You lift that person up in, in prayer over and over and over and over because they're a person. There's somebody else that you've seen. You know the hurts. You know their struggles. You know what you can be praying for on their behalf. Here's what James says about praying for other people in James chapter 5. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, every single church service here at Pinion Hills, we always have a team of people. Some of our elders are part of that team of people that you could come forward and get prayer every, every single week. And, and we're going to continue to do that every single week. We have a prayer card in your program. You can write down a prayer request, drop it in the collection basket, drop it in the boxes before you leave. And that's a way where you can submit your prayer request to have a team of 50 to 60 other people praying for whatever's going on in your life. But friends, that's not the only way that, that prayer has to be at this church. You too can pray. It's not just reserved for the elders and the pastors and the volunteers who are on the prayer team. You can pray. You can be lifting other people up in prayer. You can go to Jesus on behalf of other people and be praying for people around you, your colleague, your employees, your, your staff, your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandparents. You can be praying for other people. So the question that I have for you is this. Who can you be praying for? Who should you be praying for? The band is going to come out, and they're going to get set up, and we're going to sing one more song before we leave here this morning. And while the band plays the song, you might have noticed that on the front side of the stage, there's a bunch of rocks. And I want to encourage you to be thinking, who is somebody that you could be praying for? Is there a name that's on your mind, a name that's on your heart? Is there somebody that you could be praying for? And if, if you could think of a person that perhaps God puts on your heart, your mind, while the band sings this next song, would you come forward and get a rock off this side of the stage? A rock that represents the person that you'll be praying for. This rock will serve as a reminder for you. You could keep it in your pocket, put it in your purse, put it on your windowsill, put it in your, in your cup holder, put it, put it by, by your sink in your bathroom. Have it be in a place where you see it or you feel it. As a reminder to you, this rock represents the person that I'm praying for, that Jesus would rock their life. Jesus is our rock. He transforms everything. He changes everything. And perhaps he can change everything for somebody else because of your faith, because you're praying for them. So if you've got somebody on your mind, somebody on your heart, while the band sings this next song, I would encourage you, come forward, get a rock. Don't get like 40 or 50 rocks. If you've got that many people to pray for, go out to the Mesa and go get more rocks. <laughs> but get a rock. <laughs> get a rock that represents a person that you can be praying for. This shall serve as a reminder for you that God changes lives. He changes everything. He rocks people's world, and you could be praying for somebody else that God would get a hold of their life. So if you got somebody on your heart, on your mind, while the band sings, come forward and get a rock.